Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast. Today is another beautiful day for an interview and I'm so blessed to have Olina Carrick with me. Olina is beaming to me here all the way from Spain and I'm a bit jealous of, of her setting there. We are recording this right now in the evening, eight o'clock my time. Olina, as she does, has just come out of the Mediterranean Sea, had been swimming there and just rushed in here, brushed her hair um, and is now sitting there in front of me. I'm jealous as hell. <laughs> Olina, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really, really pleased to have you on my show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. <laughs> and the reason that I'm stressing that is uh, you are living the, the life that many of us so want to live. But that is not that you, that it all just fell into your lap. You are, you had your journey in your life and you made some very concrete and decisive steps that led you to the life that you're living now. And I'm that excited to explore that with you and to learn from you about your life, why you have taken your steps, which steps you have taken, and what is the beautiful end result right now. Fabulous, yes. I always say I lead the life of absolute luxury, and by that, I don't mean I spend loads of money on everything. I mean, I'm so lucky that I have the Mediterranean Sea and I can swim. I have a municipal swimming pool in the winter and I get to do all these amazing things. <laughs> but that's not, that's not how, you, how you started off. You basically, uh, I give it away, we too are from the same ilk. We, say we have been bitten by the, by the buck of being doctors and wanting to go out there and make the world a better place through the help of medicine. How did that start with you? Well, a long, long time ago, actually. Yes, I was a pediatric doctor and I have to confess it took me a while to get into medicine. Even before I started med school, I had this idea. Well, when I was 18, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And then... <laughs> I remember going to South Africa and working in a school and suddenly I saw this doctor injecting the children with a vaccination. And I thought, oh, I've never actually thought about studying medicine. But then of course, I'd already done my A-levels, the exams we do in the UK. And so I had to take a few more years out. So I actually had to make quite a big stand to get into medicine. It wasn't you know, just as easy as applying, but yeah, I did do it and I loved it. But life changed and I moved on. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for those of you out there who don't know much about, about medicine, medicine is, is one of the most beautiful things you can do. But it means certainly at the time when you and I would have been junior doctors in the UK, it means long, long hours. You're talking weekends on, you're talking 24 hours on call, 24 hours off, 24 hours on, things like that. These can be brutal, brutal times. You learn a lot, hell yeah, um, but it comes with a price. Was it the same with you? Yes, yes. And I think for me, one of the prices partly was the lack of control of my life. I remember 
once asking if I could have the weekend off because I'd been asked to be a bridesmaid for my best friend's wedding. And hey, guess what? I was roted on to do nights. And I did manage to swap it. But it was just that general, there's no, like I didn't, okay, I didn't like the nights and I didn't like the weekends. But that was part of the the job. But it was the not being able to say, well, please, can I work this weekend and not this weekend? That total lack of control. And I have to say, I didn't really give up medicine on purpose. I kind of say I moved to Spain with my eyes wide shut, although a part of me thinks that secretly I knew exactly what I was doing. (laughs) No, I I take your point. Um, And you... Why did you choose Spain to start off with? Well, that was one of those moments of serendipity. So when you were saying at the beginning, you know, I've made some steps, and I think some of them have been very, very conscious steps, and some of them have been what I would describe as more subconscious steps. So I've always had this dream that I want to live somewhere and have a garden full of lemon trees. Um, So that was the sort of subconscious dream that I've had. I remember sitting in Bristol Harbour, as a junior doctor and explaining this to somebody and them going, wow, you really have got it all sort of in your mind. And I think when we decide, when my husband and I decided to move, actually talking about pandemics, I happened to be pregnant during the swine flu pandemic in 2009. And at that time, they were advising pregnant women not to be in contact with children who potentially had swine flu. And I was doing general pediatrics, which is mm. most of the children really and truly. Mm. So I asked if I could swap and do a different rotor. And to cut a very long story short, it didn't happen. And the consultant, the, the lead doctor in charge, when I phoned up on the Tuesday or Monday morning and said, this didn't really happen, instead of being supportive and saying, okay, let's sort it out. She was obviously very stressed herself, but she totally lost the plot and spent an hour screaming at me. Luckily, I wasn't in the room with her. <laughs> but it was one of those pivotal moments mm. in my life where yeah. I'd had this dream of being abroad and working abroad. And I had kind of thought, okay, I'm going to wait until I finished and get to the highest doctor level. Mm. But I just thought, what am I waiting for? And mm. that, and I thought my mother lives in France. It was October. We just turned the heating on in the UK. And I was talking to her on Skype and she was there in her little t-shirt. She'd just been gardening and it was obviously really hot there. And I just thought, why, why am I waiting for the perfect time to do this? There's never going to be a perfect time. You just have to do it now. And so we just did it. We moved to Spain. And Spain, we wanted somewhere European. I wanted the Mediterranean, not too far south because it gets even super hotter there. So one of those sort of moments that is made up in your mind, but also with a big dollop of serendipity because the little town that we found is absolutely perfect. It's beautiful. It's a proper town, you know, it's very touristy here. So it's a proper town during the year. And we love it here. We just love it here. <laughs> Beautiful. Now, I have to admit that uh, for, for the whole back fence of my, my section here, we have got citrus. Okay, there is there are mandarins, oranges, lemons, limes, kaffir limes, you name it. I'm like you. So and I it put that into wonderful. It sounds absolutely <laughs> wonderful. I put that into action here because I actually <laughs> find that that lemon trees and, and, and citrus is just such a holiday feeling for us Europeans. Um, so like I'm you, very I'm, jealous because I don't think limes will ever grow here. I haven't actually quite got my lemon grove yet, but I'm still working on it. And wow. limes, I don't think they're really native here they come right. from a bit further south so 
I'm super uh, jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you've got fakes and you've got all the other beautiful yes. things that are there, which we don't get. Come on. <laughs> it's very true. That's very true. And right now, it's it's um, peach season. Oh, the peaches right. here are amazing. We have melons. We have watermelons. We have, I, for the first time ever, I got tomatoes growing in my garden. I remember trying to grow um, tomatoes in the United Kingdom. And they just, it was so wet and rainy, they would just get blight, which is a sort of fungus before they even do anything but now basil i've got the most beautiful basil plant it's amazing oh beautiful 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 <laughs> so well done so i mean you obviously you have taken steps to get to this place and this was a very important place for you you had that set deep inside your your mind was your husband always on the same on the same line or? Uh, yeah, yes, I think he was. So he he did a PhD in philosophy and mm. he decided that he wanted to go into coding, which he thought he was going to learn in two weeks. Um, but he wanted to do something remote rather than going to an office. And I think that really allowed us to be able to work, nice. move to Spain so that he could work remotely. And when we made this sort of cerebral decision of where to go, I was thinking about Australia and New Zealand because I'd worked in Australia for a bit and I knew it's easy, relatively easy for English doctors to get employment there. Um, but he felt that it was too far from our families and he likes the European culture. His sister actually is in Australia. So it wasn't that he didn't know Australia. Um, but yeah, he wanted to stay a little bit closer to home. Hmm. So yes, totally, we have a common dream. I would say it's really important. If you don't have a common dream, it's going to be very difficult to manifest that. And so we work together, but separately. We've got separate businesses, and but we come together in this unifying the family and unifying our where we're going with our dream, which right now is building our beautiful dream house. And that's exactly where I want to go with this uh, interview, because it is so easy for people when you hit the, the late 20s, early 30s, 40s, where you get into a race where you're working really hard and you're, you're working to, to achieve, to go up in your career, regardless what you're doing. You're working hard because you might actually be building up your own business. You're working hard, you're working hard, you're working hard. But then again, it is, I certainly remember times then during that time when the kids were young, I was not looking after myself. I was half grieving the loss of fun, so to speak, the innocent student years, and now being working full-time and long, long, brutal hours. And yeah, the, this I did not go for a run when I maybe should have. I was rather opening the bottle of wine and then another one and another one. And very soon, I was more working harder, longer, drinking more, and certainly not looking after myself. And this could be not further away from what you have just focused on and what you consciously decided to create. And therefore, it is listening to you and, and looking what you're doing now and listening what I did at that time, crikey, you know, this is polar opposites and most of my friends will unfortunately be in my in my boat uh not so many in your boat 
Yeah, I mean, I think you do make it sound very much easier than it was. So I think, you know, first of all, thinking about the financial mm. issue, it is it is true. And I think my husband really helped me with that because he wanted, we, we definitely took a cut in salary. Like, you know, I've 10 years of essentially lost earnings at a, as a doctor, which is a lot of money. And my husband was always had this idea that, you know, I always want to be one step along, one step along, one step along. And he's like, no, we're where we're supposed to be. And it doesn't matter that we haven't, we're not that further along on the path. We've taken a different path yeah. and we will get there. But yeah, that crunch time when you have young children and you're trying to lay the foundations of your livelihood and their college funds, it's really difficult because you've got everything piled on top. And I think for me, I, t I certainly went through a stage of grieving. For me, it was my career. I didn't mean to give up my career, but I had four young children under the age of four and a half. And I used to think, the only thing I do with my day is decide what's for dinner and none of my kids are going to eat it anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to my world. <laughs> I got, although my, my kids are now older, I'm, mine are now 17 and 19. How old are yours? Mine has, my oldest has just turned 12, oh. my second one is 10, and then I have twins of seven. So they're all very close together. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think at that time, there were definitely ups and downs. And I could see my husband getting stressed. I could see myself getting stressed. You know, those kind of small mundane things, getting cross with the children that you need to get them into the bath. Mm -hmm getting cross with the children that you need to get them out of the bar. <laughs> Here, we have to nag our children to go to the beach. You know, it's like, oh, you have to come to the beach today. And then, of course, they get to the beach and they don't want to, but they don't want to leave. But all of those things were, took on more importance than they should have been. They became more heavy than they should have been. And I remember a moment where I just went, I have to change something about this. And I actually did a parenting course, but it was a really interesting parenting course, which really looked at, parents emotions and I think you know when you have young kids emotions are super important because children have this roller coaster of emotions every single day worst day ever best day ever worst day ever best day ever and you can hardly keep up with them and because we have mirror neurons which I'm sure you know about when you have children screaming at you the whole time it amplifies and that emotion sort of goes round and round the family in a circle and I always say you can either go down the plug hole which is not great or you can go up the plug hole, which is much better. And I think to go up, it's not actually super difficult. You just have to do it consciously. So for me, it started with actually going swimming. I used to take my children to the swimming pool to learn how to swim. Or rather, my husband did one summer. And one day he came back and my son, who was then, I don't know, three or four, hadn't actually got into the water because he'd said something like, I don't want to go. And my husband had just gone, oh, okay, fine. Or I think there'd been a bit of an issue. And so I said, right, next week, I will take them. And I will make sure he gets in the water and goes swimming, which he did. And so I went upstairs and I sat and I watched. And upstairs was so amazingly hot. I just thought, why am I not in that pool swimming? And the next week, I went swimming and I loved it. And for me at that time with four young children, who I love dearly, but they are hard work, it just gave me a little bit of space, physical space. I used to have four children sort of jumping on me the whole time. And when I was in the swimming pool, I knew that nobody was going to bash me or dong me or jump on me for a cuddle, which I do love cuddles, but it does trigger that defensive, you know, you think you're being attacked sometimes and it does trigger that 
that stress response at times. And so I just loved being in the swimming pool. And that combined with really taking a look at how I was thinking about things. I think that was the beginning of my journey of just creating my most amazing and luxurious life. So true, isn't it? It is what you have discussed, discovered is the value of looking after yourself. That moment of self-love, of being there in the pool and just working out for, your, for yourself. To feel your muscles relaxing under the, the repetitive uh, strokes. How beautiful is that? You've got virtually, it's sometimes like a meditation, isn't it? I, for yes, me, absolutely. When I'm in the pool, exactly, I've got a pool. Uh, and again, I spend a lot of money on purpose to build a pool and in my garden. Wow. Still and very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, and, but I use it and I would do a kilometer or two kilometers. And it is a, it is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, I decided to, put, to, to do that, that financial outlier because I wanted it there and I wanted it to to force me because every time I look at it I know exactly how much it costs and I better go into that <laughs> bloody pool and work out end of the story <laughs> no excuse <laughs> but you don't have to have a pool in the backyard okay there is there is you can find whoever you are and in whatever circumstances you are you can find that outlet you can find that that moment of sanity and for a lot of people, it might be walking the dog. And it becomes nearly a religious kind of ceremony to take the dog, go to the dog walking area, and that is so important. And and when you sort of think, oh, they're walking the dog. No, they are actually, that's their sanity. And that is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. So whoever you are out there, guys, and whatever circumstances you are, don't think, oh, you bloody doctors here, you know, it's bloody Spain, bloody, bloody New Zealand. No, 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 no. Listen what we are saying. We are saying that, that I did never look after myself until I ended up in rehab and then learned it the hard way. And um, Olina is... is uh, thinking differently about that and that's why i was so so beautifully happy to to get her onto my show alina what else was was happening with you i mean did i was i was falling in the in the trap of alcohol did alcohol ever play sort of a role in your life um well yes as i was saying to you before we were recording mm -hmm. i definitely you know i was a medical student in the united kingdom all students in the United Kingdom drink far, far, far too much. Hmm. And as junior doctors carry on, they drink far too much. When I had children, um, that reset a bit, partly because I just couldn't cope with the hangover. <laughs> <laughs> but also as pregnant women, you have to go for a long period of time without hmm. drinking. You know, you're allowed a small, well, they changed the rules. At the time, you were allowed a little bit. Hmm. So I enjoy alcohol. A little bit. I think as I've got older, I've seen the dangers of alcohol. And you know, one of the things I find with alcohol is you have a little bit, and then suddenly there's this little voice in your head which goes, drink a little bit more, drink a little bit more. Hmm. Whereas when I've become aware of that, and also partly moving to Spain, I'll tell you why in a minute, but I'm much more able to just have a glass of beer or wine and enjoy it. And actually, it is a really big cultural difference. So, you know, in the UK, we're definitely 
go out on Friday, Saturday night, drink what they call binge drinking, drink quite a lot. And I remember going out for dinner on a Friday night with some friends and we were invited around to their house. So there were four of us. And I think we had one bottle of wine between us. So that's what a glass and a little mm. bit each. And I remember thinking, oh, it's Friday night. Like, where's the rest of the wine? <laughs> <laughs> but really culturally here, mm. people will drink just a small amount. Now, I'm not saying that there's aren't people who drink more. Of course mm. there are. And strangely, people in Spain will drink alcohol very early in the morning. So mm. I'll be walking the children to work, to school, and pass a cafe and there'll be somebody either with a glass of wine or a glass of beer really early in the morning. And to me, I just think, oh my goodness, that's just so bizarre and strange. But there is definitely a culture of have a small amount of alcohol with your meal as opposed to have the alcohol as, a, as, a, as an enjoyment just totally by itself. And I think this is really what you're getting at is this idea that when everything is very stressful and you're leading this stressful life, it's very easy to reach for that alcohol as a sort of reward, a crutch, uh, this will make it all okay. And one of the things I really see is actually, once you start looking after yourself and particularly looking at it from a parent's point of view. So, you know, when you've got kids and they're screaming and shouting and you can go in and you can either go in calmly and help them and try and calm things down because it's normal for them to scream and shout or you can go in and scream and shout at them and then that just amplifies everything and it makes everything worse however to, to do the first you actually need to have a lot of energy because when you're tired and stressed and all of those things you're just going to end up the second way so talking about alcohol the, the other day I went out with my friends and my old student self would be ashamed of this, but I had two beers. And those were two half glasses of beer, which is probably about a pint in UK terms. And the next day, I just felt so grumpy and so tired. And, you know, like I could yeah. see myself not being the mother I normally was to my children and just thinking, this is ridiculous. You really just have to... I have a rule as well that I don't drink alcohol after eight o'clock in the evening because it affects your sleep. And it was a bit later. So, but... I think the point I'm make, trying to make is once you start taking care of yourself, actually all those stresses, or, okay, not your work stresses necessarily, but a lot of those stresses will disappear and you will find that they aren't stresses in the same way because you have the energy to deal with what actually needs to be dealt with rather than just trying to brush it away and trying to go into survival mode. So, so it's true. like this double whammy. So true. So true. And you've got that anxiety, the, the anxiety that arrives from the hangover in its own right. So whatever whatever uh, has bothered you will be still be there the next day. But now you're hungover and you have to deal with the same thing <laughs> and the new shit that is flying your way. Um, yes. But um, the reason that I'm bringing that up is it is it was relatively common that people in, in when I say my age so uh, 20 years ago when when the kids came along um, we would be drinking um, in the evening five six etc then the next sort of half generation forward um, that the mummy wine culture uh, is very much hitting the Americas and it's it's a very clever marketing where where the, the liquor industry is saying you 
come on, it's lunchtime. You know the kids will come home later. You might as well have a little drink now. Life will be so much easier. You know, it's much more nicer. And by the way, all your girlfriends are doing it too. You know, live a nice life. So that's quite intriguing there, what is happening. And certainly there's a complete shift in the way that women are drinking nowadays. So, and it is, it is, it's a bizarre one. So a lot of, uh, a lot of people have, have approached me and have told me about this wine culture. So you're quite right. I think and, it's true. And I think one of the things is that people, I say, I want to say genuinely, genuinely don't know how dangerous alcohol is. Hmm other than obviously getting addicted to it, you know, the, the health consequences of drinking alcohol mm. are huge. Mm. You know, it affects all of your body. And I know you know this, but mm. a lot of people don't. And they hang on to that one study that was done about how it helps your heart if you drink some <laughs> red wine. Well, you know, <laughs> there may be a little bit of truth in that, but I think that the problem is that the alcohol does a lot of damage and there's lots of better ways of looking after your heart, like eating lots of fruit and vegetables and grapes. <laughs> you know, it's basically the same stuff as in grapes. But people don't want to think that because they of enjoy course. alcohol. So they want to just ignore that. But mm. it's, it's a really slippery slope. And I think it is something that, as a society, we need to change the messaging that we have about alcohol in the same way yes. that in the yes. 50s, we changed the messaging about smoking. You know, mm. I remember when I was studying in Bristol, and Bristol is founded on tobacco. So you would see people there who had... Heart, uh, lung problems because they had been paid in cigarettes and you know you would talk to doctors who would say well we used to give out cigarettes for anxiety for women well clearly people don't do that now because we know the dangers of smoking and it's you know obvious and I think really that message needs to come out with alcohol as well oh hell yes hell yes for those of you who want to know more I've written a book my steps to sobriety and the first uh the first part of the book the first 20 percent or so go into detail what alcohol actually does to the body and to society etc so if you wanted to know about more about the effects of alcohol on the heart uh and all the the good excuses that you can see in women's weekly but I read that Beer is good for you because it has vitamins and it is a whole list of nice things. And then red wine and white wine is good for you and a whole list of things. Well, I debunked them. Sorry, guys. So if you wanted to, to keep your, your, your blinkers on, then, then please don't buy my book because you might actually learn that <laughs> it's not so good. <laughs> so, yes, you're so right. About, and the other thing about alcohol is, you know, I know we focus on the good evenings that we have or the good afternoon if it's at lunchtime. But there is another double side to that, which is the hangover, which lasts an awful lot longer. And the amount of, if you look at the, the pros and the cons, I think there's a lot more cons than pros. So, you know, feeling awful, having a whole day of not feeling great, being grumpy, not having enough energy, for what? Mm. A an extra half hour chat with my friend. For me, it's just not worth it. So true, so true. Uh, for those of you out there who are still drinking, thinking, ah, oh, come on, bullshit. Um, <laughs> it is actually, once you start a dry July or something like that, where you actually literally stop drinking for a month and just do that as an experiment, you might find that you suddenly get an energy that you didn't know. And in reality, it is the lack of a hangover. The sheer fact that I wake up nowadays at six in the morning, wide awake, bing, what shall we do? Creative, shall we do gym, shall we do that? 
because I want to. A sunrise, a sunrise is stunning, beautiful colors, I tell you. And I tell you also that I can't remember any sunrise sort of in the, from, the, from seven years ago towards, towards you know, my 20s going back because I was pissed and the haze, etc. So this haze of drunkenness and then the haze of the hangover. Guys, 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 it is such a beautiful life out there. Christ. Um, so please, please, please. So just consider it if you're still drinking. Maybe it's it's July. You still got what is it? The twenty. If so, come on, ten days, ten days. Try July. You you can give it a shot. So that's really good advice, actually. And I've done dry months, yeah. and I think one of the bonuses of a dry month as well is that it takes a lot of decision making away. So if you get to Friday evening and you're like, oh, should I have a drink? Shall I not have a drink? Should I have a drink? How many drinks shall I have? You're using an awful lot of your brain. Whereas if you just make this decision, I'm going to go for an entire week or two weeks or a month you don't notice exactly. and you just get on with it and you enjoy it and it's fabulous. And yes, yeah. as you say, totally, you just have so much more energy. That's right. And think also through, I mean, a bottle of wine here in New Zealand, you can get some cheap Blanc for $10, but let's say $15 is sort of the price. And come on, whoever drinks one bottle. So make the two bottles. So that's $30 in a day. Well, for a month, 30 times 30, that's 900. It's nearly a thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So your alcohol is much more expensive than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but then you can take that money and do something exciting. So for my son's birthday a month a few weeks ago, we hired a little boat. And that might sound like a very extravagant thing mm. to do. It actually wasn't. It cost us, I think, 130 euros. Oh nice. Well, if you go out for a, a meal in a restaurant, it's gonna cost you that much. That's like for us, a cheap meal for six of us, because the six of us, or an expensive meal for two of us. Yeah. People don't think so often about doing those more unusual things, going on a hot air balloon or kayaking, taking a sup board out. Yeah. And if you can say, okay, well, I'm going to save on not drinking the alcohol and I'm going to treat myself to this really amazing experience, exactly. then you have a beautiful memory as well. Exactly. And you can actually remember it. You're not just hungover, <laughs> sitting there trying not to vomit in front of the children <laughs> in the boat. <laughs> so true, 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 true. <laughs> so, but whilst we have discussed about the benefit, or we discussed the benefits of actually not having a hangover uh, and etc. It is it is one thing to try to sort of nebulously, abstractly say, "Oh, I want to live a better life," but what steps can you actually recommend someone? So we are now talking about mom and dad who actually stumbled across this podcast or this YouTube channel. They have just put the kids to bed, nine o'clock in the evening. They are completely knackered and they have just sort of swiped, what's that? Click on a podcast and they think, yes, oh, sounds nice, great, as if I go to Spain or if I go to New Zealand. Well, you don't have to go to Spain or New Zealand. I promise you. I've got clients who are in London and, you know, other places. I think the really, the very, very first step that you need to do is give yourself permission and just say, okay, I am worth investing some time and energy. Yes. And I think, I love this quote, the best thing that you can give your parents is your, sorry, your kids is your own happiness. And I think it's so true. You know, we want to teach our kids to be healthy yeah. and to be yeah. happy and to grow up and have everything. And how do we do that? Well, one of the best ways is to demonstrate it. Mm -hmm. And if you demonstrate healthy living and healthy eating and being happy, 
your kids are going to grow up like that. So if you can't do it for yourself, do it for your kids. So once you've made that step one, I look at healthy living and wellness with four pillars. So nutrition, exercise, sleep, and mindfulness, wellness, um, emotional wellness, how we think about things, which is really important. And I think you can look at those four pillars. And you know, what you don't want to do is make a billion changes, particularly by yourself, and then go, okay, I'm going to do this amazing thing. And then by next week, you've given up on everything. So you can do that if you have some help, you know, from a coach or someone like that, who's going to help you make them in stepwise ways and keep you on track. But if you want to go the route of doing it by yourself, then make one small change. And you may think, okay, this one small change isn't worth anything, but it is, it's worth a lot. If you think about a boat that is leading, leaving, I don't know, should we say Leeds, Leeds, Liverpool, and going to New York, and it, or it wants to go to New York, but it's actually heading down south. And you think, okay, it makes a very small turn. And it's going to really change the course of where it ends up, because you're going to carry on doing it and doing it and doing it. And I always say healthy living is a marathon and not a sprint. So you don't have to think about today, tomorrow, next week. It's about in two years time, three years time, five years time, 10 years time, where do I want to be? And how do I want my life to be? And I think it's a really fun exercise to think about, well, what do you really enjoy in your life? So we were talking about swimming and exercise. Well, the secret is to find what you love and what, what rocks your boat. So do you love swimming? Do you love cycling? Do you see yourself as a basketball player with loads of basketball player friends? And these things don't happen instantly. I remember a few years ago when I first started swimming in the sea and I would join the tourist groups because I didn't really want to go by myself. And that summer, I sort of had this wish that I wanted to find some swimming friends who I could go swimming in the sea with and thinking, how on earth am I going to find these swimming friends? Like, they don't just materialize out of thin air. But fast forward a few years and, you know, I spoke to one of the gentlemen at the swimming pool and he knew some people and he put me in contact with some people and another group, which was a long way away. So then that kind of fell by the wayside. But now I can go swimming well, I go three times a week and more, and I've got a little group of friends and, you know, we're just swimming buddies, but it's taken me a few years to get there. And I've enjoyed every single step of the way because every single step has been a little push more and a little adventure more. So create your ideal life and think about how you would like your perfect dream life to be within the realms of, okay, I've got four kids and this is the job that I do. Well, do you love your job? Do you not love your job? I don't know. You've got time to change it if you, if you don't want to. So I think it's that. Set your goal and then work out how you're going to get there and make little changes and little changes and, and enjoy it as well. I think that's another super important message because it's not about discipline and, oh, I have to do this because I've set this as a goal. It's about finding those habits that you enjoy and doing them because you enjoy them. I don't really go swimming to keep fit. I love keeping fit, but I go swimming because I enjoy swimming and I enjoy how I feel after I've been swimming. But most importantly, I enjoy the swimming. <laughs> so true. And it's a small change. You're quite right. And it sounds so stupid. It sounds so, oh, what does that little change actually do? It sets you on the right path. It sets you onto, you, you, you have got these 
many, many seconds in a day. And you choose one second and make a choice where you say, I take control and I'll do now something. And that might be as simple as that you actually say, stop, I just do maybe a breathing exercise now or I fill myself a big glass of water and I will not do anything else until I've drunk that glass of water. So it's the simple things where you actually give yourself permission to love yourself, to look after yourself. And that can become quite intoxicating because you're actually looking after yourself and suddenly this person inside you who has been neglected for a hell of a long time suddenly says, that's nice. Thank you. Can I have some more? <laughs> and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's the little things, isn't it? And it uh, what does a glass of water cost you? Hey, you know, if you and go back to, to the tobacco that you mentioned in Bristol, uh, 10 years, 20 years ago, if you would have said, oh, I'm a bit tired. I need a break now. People would look at you, you sissy, you pussy, you mm. look, uh, what, what, what's that about? Eh? It was, you're a man. If you would have said, oh, I go for a smoke hole. Oh, wait, I come with you. Okay, yeah. so there is, okay. So it was socially accepted to have an addiction uh, and smoking and yeah. everyone would essentially get the benefit of the break because of the cigarette. If you now take the cigarette away and you can create a similar kind of thing that you say, look guys, we've worked flat out for an hour. Let's have a break. Let's have a, a cup of tea or let's have a, a drink of sorts. Um, bingo. You've achieved exact, you, you have achieved exactly the same thing, um, but in a healthier way, may I say. Yes, definitely. The uh, so small steps. So quite right. So give yourself the permission. And then, if you go back to the to the family with the three, four-year-old uh, and nine o'clock now in the evening, and they are watching that and think, for Christ's sake, um, what else What else could they sort of think about? They want to give themselves permission, but tomorrow is again a long day. <laughs> that is true. That is true. I mean, I think you have to decide what you're going to do. So if you're that parent, that specific parent, the one thing I would say, the first place you want to start is sleep because sleep is so, so important to us. And it's kind of like a puzzle. And as you start correcting one thing, so doing more exercise or sleeping, then you have the desire to do something else. So, you know, you start exercising. I've got to swim tomorrow morning. Hey, do you know what? I'm not going to drink that glass of beer the evening before. And it's this spiral upwards that I was talking about. So each little step, creates that spiral upwards and you build on that that last one so for those parents i would say do you know what actually what you want to do is start prioritizing your own sleep make sure you get your eight hour sleep which can be difficult when you've got little children but quite often parents myself included we end up drinking the wine or watching a film late at night because people say well i use that evening time to get some me time. Mm -hmm. But the point is, if you've restructured your day so that you are getting your me time, whether it's exercise or reading a book, doing mm -hmm. something creative like painting, meditation, whatever it is, whatever you love, once you're getting that me time, you don't feel this huge desire to need the me time at nine o'clock in the evening because it's built mm -hmm. into your day. Mm -hmm. So I would say prioritize sleep and then that's where you want to start building and make a plan and think, okay, this is what we're going to change. This is the first step that we're going to do, but make that step and stick to it and just keep sticking to it. Mm. And when we talk about building up habits, 
And as I say, habits are not about discipline. It's not that people who lead a healthy life are more disciplined. It's that they set up their lives so that it happens more easily. So an example for this is me and my swimming. So I normally, in normal life, when we go to school, when the children go to school, go to the swimming pool on Tuesday and Thursday. Now, the children here in Spain, they have morning school and afternoon school. So they go back to school between three and five. So my swimming habit actually starts at 2.30 when I walk the children back to school, because clearly I'm not going to go, hey, do you know what, kids? Let's, let's not worry about school today, which, you know, people might do about their swimming, but school, it's definitely going to happen. So I get to school with my swimming stuff. And then I just walk down to the swimming pool. I do my swimming training. I also have a two or three minute sauna afterwards, which I absolutely love. But I've set up this sort of train. Mm-hmm. And for me to then go, okay, I'm not going to do swimming today takes a huge amount of effort because I have to then find something else to do or a reason not to do it. It's much easier for me just to do the swimming, particularly as I have a swimming trainer as well. So, you know, by the time I'm thinking, it looks a little bit cold, I'm standing on the edge of the swimming pool with my swimming trainer behind me and I've set it up. So it's this thinking about your prefrontal cortex, which is your thinking part of your brain, and that makes the plans. But that has to take into consideration your habit brain, which goes, I eat chocolate, we drink beer, let's take the easy option. And so once you take that into consideration, and make your life easy, you will just do everything without thinking. But it's that thinking about it once first so that you don't have to think about it again. And you, without saying it, you actually mentioned two important principles. The first principle that you said is that we do that. So you actually need to discuss that with the people around you and certainly with your partner. Because if you suddenly go off on a tangent there on this wild self-discovery trip and he or she uh, is staying behind in the dust and has to do all the, the, the washing and the cleaning because you are on, on a run constantly, well, that doesn't go so well. So there are two people that, that need to be taken into consideration. And so, yeah, there's, the communication is the key thing but then also the stepwise planning to actually uh, make conscious decisions. And when it comes to habits, to create new habits, you're sort of talking 30, 40 times um, that you really want to do the same thing, and then it becomes truly a habit. It sort of sinks from your conscious down to your sort of reptilian brain, where then suddenly it becomes normal. And you feel, yeah. well, actually, it is, there's something missing. Oh, yeah, I haven't been swimming. Or yeah. I didn't go to the gym. Or I haven't done my breathing exercises, etc. Because you're missing it. It has become yeah. a new habit. Yes, totally. I totally agree. And going back to your partner, I totally agree with that. But I would add a caveat, which is you don't have to do things together the whole time. So, for example, my system, I'm very lucky that because it's a school holidays here, The children would normally be doing activities, but this year they're not doing activities. But they kind of stumble out of bed. So by the time I've been to the beach, I start swimming at seven and I'm back by either 8.30 or nine. My children are just getting out of bed. So I've kind of been and done it. And my husband very kindly, you know, he's around in case there's any issues. But for example, on Monday and Friday, he has more hard work. So I make sure I'm back a little bit earlier. But yes, it's just that communication. However, he doesn't go swimming. He does other stuff. But that's fine. But there is also a, if you want to do something, for example, I have this great idea that I would like my children do, to do the Camino de Santiago, which is a long route that goes from one side of Spain to the other side of Spain. We wouldn't do all of it. 
But I have this vision that I want all of us to do it on bikes. Perhaps not this year, because this year is a little bit complicated. But that means that we need to do some bike rides to get into the practice. But if I go off cycling, now I only do a 10, 15 minute bike ride because the beach isn't far. But the more I do it, the more the children want to join in. And then I will do some with the children. And so as you demonstrate it, people will want to join in with you. So my youngest son, sorry, the middle son, he's 10. A few weeks ago, he came, we cycled to the beach. Bless him, he did over a kilometer swimming. We saw a stingray. It was amazing. But he was absolutely exhausted by the end of it. (laughs) And then we cycled back. But it's a prime example of of demonstrating healthy living. And children want to be like their, their parents. They want to join in and do exactly what their parents want to do. So if that's sitting on the couch eating crisps and pizza, that's what they want to do. But if it's getting up early and going for a bicycle ride in a swim, that's what they want to do. Very true. And... This is what you need to do. And I I neglected that completely. So, I mean, my kids are now 19 and 17. So, and I'm now clean and sober seven years. So really during their formative years, I was demonstrating how to get drunk and then to be a grumpy bear with a headache the next day. So, no, they had to, to find their own what should I say, their own things to do, the amount of promises I have broken to my children is no longer funny. And there is actually, one of my chapters in the book is called The Other Silent Generation. The silent generation normally refers to the people after the Second World War uh, who kept their mouth shut about their experiences. But the silent generation I'm referring to is the kids from alcoholic families because they do not, they have their their own unique features because they don't know what happens when they walk into the door, is daddy in a good mood or not. So they keep their mouth shut. They will expect that promises are broken and therefore later on in their life they will live with partners in a very different way so there are there are broken people already by the sheer fact that we as the adults have done so many bad things and it doesn't need to be that you you beat them green and blue no it is simply the fact the way you have been focusing on your addiction and neglected the, the nice times with them. I think that's really, really important to say. So if mm. you actually think about your children and you really love them, then there's very much something to be said about taking a leaf out of your book and creating memories with these children that they are proud of, and that they are, they are really happy with. And uh, I mean, that's, that's, it's just beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I didn't do it. I regret it. You have done it. It was, it came at a cost to you, as you, you pointed out. But again, I think uh, on my deathbed, I will still show signs of regret about my actions, whilst I don't think that you have regretted so many of your actions there. Well, I have definitely not been perfect the whole time. And I think on a more mundane level, it's very easy to look at children and see the frustration that they cause. So, you know, siblings fighting, 
constant battle to brush teeth, to keep your bedroom tidy and all of those things. And it's very easy to get sucked into those moments. And again, it's about taking a step backwards and really just cherishing what we have and looking at gratitude with what we have. And I always say, you know what? Children who are noisy and driving you insane is a good sign that they are healthy. Because as you know, having worked in you know intensive care units, children who are really, really sick, they lie there doing absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And they aren't annoying anybody, but they're very seriously ill. And I'm not just talking about a little bit of a cold or a fever. But I think the fact that our children are healthy enough to annoy us is really a good thing when you look at it. It's just, you know, we also have to manage that (laughs) frustration as well. (laughs) And I guess you have to learn to choose your battles. And that was something I, for a long time, couldn't do. I was riding that horse off. I deserve respect. I'm a man in the house. I bring them money in. Come on, can't you wash up? And I still find that trace in me. I still get pissed off because right now when I walk down into the kitchen, it will be a mayhem in there because I actually didn't clean up. I, I, I <laughs> on purpose did not touch it and no one else does. It's either my wife or me and the kids as if they had broken fingers still. And for Christ's sake, but it is what it is. And more recently, I actually, I had a lot of fights with my, with one of my sons and because I, I really try to insist that he grows up and and he acts actually as the man that he desires to be. And wow, we went this way. And and I've now chosen to rather put the the rubbish out myself um, and do those little things. When you actually break it down to what it is, it's, it's principles. It is my expectations not being met. It is my emotions being hurt. It is my inner things going on where I reflect back to my parents, what they annoyed me with and things like that. There's all that crap going on in your head. Um, from now and then you need to step back and actually say, hang on, is that now your problem? Or is that really, is really he, is he the problem? Or am I the problem? And so I think that might be steps to or considerations as well. Don't, I think don't... parenting is really, really tough. I do. I think it's this sort of juxtaposition between accepting your child for who they are and wanting to lay down the law and and wanting their, them to grow into this other person and teach them and do what we think is best for them. Mm. And often not really knowing how to teach that in the best way. But I do think that parenting, it is difficult, it is super tough. And I promise you that being a, you know, I found being a doctor, and my job was essentially to stick needles into children, much, much easier (laughs) than dealing with their emotions on a daily basis. And this, you know, as I say, accepting them for who they are, but wanting them to grow into something a little bit more. And I think it is really tough. So true. So we have got that young couple sitting there and thinking, God, they actually, um, Olina and Stefan, they make even a bit of sense there. Maybe we should really think about tomorrow. Maybe we start tonight. I'll tell you what, we watch the end of the interview and then we go to bed. How about that? We don't have that drink. But maybe maybe have a glass of water. How about that? Uh, and do that. 
Cool. So getting up in the morning and then, oh God, let's, okay, come on kids, get yourself ready here. Here's some cornflakes. Just, just help yourself and some milk or rape and et cetera. Yeah. About these cornflakes. Uh, let's talk nutrition. Why do you think nutrition is such an important <laughs> bit? And again, it's, it sounds corny, isn't it? We're talking about such mundane things. But, exactly. but. So I have a question for you. Did you pick cornflakes? Because you know that I have this pet hate, which is breakfast cereal. <laughs> I had no idea about that. But I know what, what cornflakes are. And I know what, if you, if you. I don't know how this social engineering happened that there is a whole generation that thinks cornflakes is the best thing ever. And you think, well, it is interesting. In, um, I read The Diet Myth by Tim Spector, who is a professor in England, and he says, it's a really interesting book, actually, and he says that the reason we eat breakfast cereal is essentially because the breakfast cereal companies have convinced us that that's a good thing to do. And I think that there's a kernel of truth in there. I think there is no real reason for us to eat breakfast cereals other than that they are convenient and they come in a box and there's a big industry surrounding them. So going back to your question, nutrition, yeah, it's one of the main, main keys. And some of the work I've done has been in helping people lose weight. And, you know, as you know, there's a big epidemic of people being overweight across the developed and developing world. And that really comes from the way people eat. And again, the way people eat is all about habits. So, you know, I find it really interesting. I grew up in a family where we were now, I think, relatively healthy eaters, but it was very carbohydrate rich, you know, breakfast cereal for breakfast, um, bread for lunch, probably pasta or something for dinner, a lot of those white carbohydrates. And I think it was just culture. And I think if we take a step back, actually, it's interesting what happened in the sugar industry. And before that, people used to eat a reasonable amount of fat. And we were convinced that a low-fat diet was good for us for various, what seemed to me, not very good reasons now that we look back. But that's all history. So where are we now? And I think, again, nutrition is one of these habit things. It's actually really easy to get into the habit of eating healthy, delicious food but it's all about habit and making it easy. And once you do that, you just, again, feel so much better. You're putting healthy, nutritious things in your body. It's one of those steps up that spiral. It's going to give you more energy to go for your run, to feel good, to feel fit and fabulous. And essentially, the way we do this is with fruit and vegetables and less processed foods. In a nutshell, that's what I can tell you about nutrition. Now, I can go on and on about nutrition mm. if you want me to, but it hasn't changed very much. I know there's loads and loads of controversies and mm. we want to discuss this small bit here and that small bit there, but really and truly, here's, that's it. Eat more fruit and vegetables, fresh fruit, and I would include in that you know, legumes, mm -hmm. chickpeas, those kind of things, super good exactly. for you. Um, a little bit of protein. We don't need heaps and heaps of protein. We do need some protein. Lots of people really love protein good fats, extra virgin olive oil, coming from Spain, the world's biggest producer of, <laughs> of olive oil. But the studies do show that it is good and yeah. part of a healthy diet. Yeah. Nuts and seeds, I love nuts and seeds. But it's just so easy once you're in the habit of having yeah, exactly. these healthy things in the same way that you're in the habit of reaching for the packets. Mm. And once you've changed the way you eat, 
you actually don't crave those things. So the way I teach healthy eating is I do a two-week reboot. So I think it is one of the one areas where you really do need to make substantial changes. And you can do it little bit by little bit if you want to, but I think it's much easier to go, okay, for two weeks, I can eat healthily and I can change the way my family and I eat. And then after that, you can sort of, you know, go back a little bit. It's not about never eating cake, never eating ice cream. It's about eating them in moderation and enjoying them. And again, making that journey fun. You know, I love making recipes where I sort of cut out the sugar of everything. <laughs> I think, how can I make something tasty without sugar? You know, I take recipes. My son the other day, I let, they like to cook, which is a fabulous way of teaching children nice. healthy eating. Obviously, they like to look eat cakes. And he made some biscuits and he actually cut out the amount of sugar from, I think it was 300 grams to 200. So he divided it by two thirds. But when we ate these cookies and they were sort of like cookies with ice cream and I made a delicious chocolate hazelnut spread with no added sugar. We had these, this dessert and we all felt a little bit sick afterwards. <laughs> and I calculated that there must've been about five teaspoons of sugar in this dessert, which is probably the amount that we eat in a whole week. And now here's my challenge. How can I make those cookies and make them without any sugar, but such that they are tasty as well and easy to make? So that's my challenge this week. And I find it fun. I'm like, I, I've got an idea. I'm going to try. <laughs> well, dried fruit, um, uh, basically yeah. mince that down or indeed the honey, yeah. et cetera. Although you've got then again, the, the sugar in there. Having said that, it is it is a journey that you're going on there. And it is... It is intriguing, absolutely intriguing. Once I, I got out of rehab, I we started, well, we always have been eating healthy, but if you're drinking, you're doing so much damage to your body that whatever healthy you eat, it's nowhere near enough. Yeah. Um, so therefore, I, I stopped drinking, we ate really, really healthy, and I was still tired, and I was still down, I was still, and I thought, is that all? is that really the rest of my life now? So I got in touch with a nutritionist that I knew is doing fantastic work out here in New Zealand. And Ben Boren, if you're listening, good man. So Ben uh, took me on and uh, my own case manager and we spent a few hundred dollars in, in blood tests because I wanted to know everything inside out kind of a thing. Blimey, blimey, we found a lot of interesting things. I was essentially allergic to a German breakfast. The bread, yeah. <laughs> the butter, the eggs, uh, the cheese. I was all actually subclinically allergic. So I was not dying when I had some cheese. Um, but bottom line is my body was in a constant inflammation. And so the, the call was, come on, let's get rid of all that. That really we can prove you're allergic to. And so here it was. It was salads and greens and meat and, and um, healthy things. Within two months, my chronic oculotendinitis, my chronic pain in the, in the ankle was gone. For one, and a year, a year, no, one year and a half, I was hobbling around. Within two months, gone. Shoulder injury, gone. Hay fever, virtually gone wow okay so talk about talk about this constant inflammation and you constantly being on the edge and grumpy and shitty and that was exactly what was happening in my blood system here you go so that was a very very clear thing i could see night and day 
what a change in nutrition does. So whilst I knew a little bit about it before that, thereafter, suddenly, wow, you, you see how important nutrition can be. So therefore, yes. guys, please listen to Alina. That is so, so, so true. And I don't think that's unique. Like I hear what you're saying about being allergic, but I think the problem, one of the problems with a standard high white carbohydrate diet is that it does trigger a chronic inflammation process. And it's just there going on all the time. And once you change that, it's the same with carbohydrate cravings as well. A lot of people say they have carbohydrate cravings, which really is that glucose rush that they're looking for. But actually, once you just say, okay, I'm going to do this two-week reboot mm. and I'm going to get rid of all of that, actually it disappears and your taste buds, mm. your taste buds regenerate. And if we're looking at processed foods, so for our kids, a lot of people will say, oh, my kids don't eat vegetables. And part of the reason is, is because they're feeding their children lots of products with high salt and sugar. And then once you take that away, they will eat the fruit and vegetables because they can taste them. I promise you kids do eat fruit and vegetables. I have picky, picky, picky children, but they eat fruit and vegetables. Not all of them, not all of the times. Like, you know, I have a system, which I'm happy to explain, you know, but... <laughs> the secrets are coming out. <laughs> well, no, it's probably another whole hour's conversation. <laughs> but um, I have podcasts on it myself. But, you know, it's not that children won't eat vegetables. I don't expect a two-year-old to eat cabbage. Obviously, children prefer cake over cabbage. That's normal. We all do. We're all programmed to do that. But they will eat fruit and vegetables if they're offered them. You know, that's what they're given. But if you offer them packaged foods all the time, that's what they're going to do. They're going to eat the packaged foods and leave the fruit and vegetables. So it's about how you present the foods. So true. So true. Yeah. And it is it can be fun because what you can do is with your kiddos um, actually make the food uh, to, to for you to have your children uh, being interested in cooking. I mean, wow, that is just beautiful. And and there is unfortunately there is a whole generation that is in the UK, in Germany, in out here as well, where people don't know how to cook and yeah. don't know what to do. And that is actually quite saddening. I often say that that when I drive here in Rotorua through the poorer suburbs, you will find manicured lawns wherever the eye looks. I can't find a single spinach leaf or something <laughs> like that. So it's that kind celery. of celery. I always think if the celery in the house, it's a good it's a good <laughs> indication that they cook. But it's interesting you say that because there was a study recently that looked at college students and essentially looking at the ones who could cook and the ones that can't cook and obviously the ones that are cooked that can cook they go on and they have kids and they cook as a family so it just passes down it's just this habit this mm. familial habit and so actually if you can teach your kids to cook think of all that good that you're doing because mm. you're in you're affecting your grandchildren and this healthy eating will just get passed on my kids don't think of themselves as healthy eaters they just mm. think of themselves as people who eat food. It's not that they think, well, they probably do because I'm constantly going on about it. But yeah. most children don't. They just think it's just food that we eat. It's tasty, yummy food. And they enjoy a cake as much as other people enjoy cake. The difference is I've made a cake and it doesn't contain any sugar. I have one that is an aubergine brownie. Do you say aubergines or eggplants? I'm not sure. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, my son calls it mummy's yummy chocolate cake. And it hasn't got I might put a teaspoon of honey in it if I think it's, it needs it, but so little sugar compared to any other cake recipe. 
and it's delicious. <laughs> and it's a skill and it's something you can learn. It's just as much as you would learn, I don't know, anything in a new job, yeah. in a new, uh, a new hobby. You wouldn't think twice of learning something new. Why not learn how to make a cake without sugar? Exactly. You know, it is now it's and it's again, it comes back to the conscious decision and then to creating habits and not just yeah. for one week to go all out. So I love the, the two week reset that you do, but it is then out of this reset, uh, moving forward into a sustainable yeah. kind of way. Yeah, exactly. And you, exactly. And as you say, you don't need it every day. So, you know, if every every meal you make a choice. Just as much as you're not going once to the gym and be super fit. No, it doesn't work like that. And it's the same equally with nutrition. You don't just have one salad and that's it now. Wow, you're fit and healthy. It doesn't work like that. But it's the compound interest that yeah. occurs with little changes. Then you add a little tomato into a salad and then you've got something else happening and then a bit more workout and a bit more this and better sleep. And by the time you've blinked, your waistline has changed, your attitude has changed, your muscle tone has changed, the familial relationships have changed. Suddenly yeah. the kids actually want to be with you rather than, than maybe dreading to be with you. So yeah. it's, it's an amazing journey. And, uh, but you need to make the conscious decision. And yes, it's, yeah. It's so beautiful if when things start coming together. Yes, and I, I think you're absolutely right. There are so many, many benefits, and it, they just mm. add on to each other. I was talking to somebody the other day, and she is now 52, and she started with this whole journey. And she says she feels younger than she did when she was 40. Like, isn't that amazing? <laughs> yep, and that's, that's exactly it, isn't it? It is, it yeah. is beautiful. Guys, I mean, it's just it's waiting for you out there. It just needs a little decision. Or actually, before the decision, it needs to be a little recognition that maybe yeah. where you are right now, hey, is that really where you want to be? Or yeah. is there another you that you really see in the, in the far distance and think, God, how do I get there? And that question is the exact right question. How do I get there? Because there are ways. There might be obstacles in the way. Yeah, I can give you that. But uh, no, there are ways around these obstacles, over them, under them, around them. doesn't matter. There are yeah. ways. So Definitely. So a young couple, they have gone to bed. They actually drank some water instead of the rest of the <laughs> wine. Um, they actually slept better and are waking up and thinking, bloody hell. And then they're saying, okay, what have we got? Hmm, okay, I tell you what. This morning, we have nothing in the house. Today, it is cereal. But I tell you what, later, we're going to go shopping. And let's actually see if we cannot find um, something. And there might be ways that you can, that there are uh, courses that you can take. That there's, there's so many recipes on the internet. But there's also coaches like, like you, Alina, who, who might be able to help you there. So if you have no idea about cooking and certainly no idea, you have never, you, you have no idea what, what is good for you and what not. And you're actually confused about all the messages that some people spout out left, right and center. Well, find someone. Remember, you always want to be 
part of a team and you always want to be the stupidest member of that team. Okay. <laughs> so therefore, that is so if I put my health team together, then I want to have a nutritionist or a dietitian or someone or a life coach who really knows so much more than I do. <laughs> because otherwise, if I know it all, well, why do I have the team? So it doesn't work like that. So try to find someone who knows more uh, about that journey because you know over there that's where i want to be so find people who are there and sh let them show you how to do it how about that yeah definitely so, so nutrition um we've done the sleep we've done the hydration um and again exercise. please exercise we've done that but then there's something missing well in my mind it's the emotional wellness and the mindfulness that i exactly. think is it's that linchpin that you have to have the right mindset, yeah. which, you know, we've been talking about splattering it around, but it is that mindset mm. of how we think about things. Here's an example. My son, he's now seven. When he learned to ride a bike, he would get on the bike and go, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Guess what? He couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Until you learn to get that thinking right. <laughs> and what comes first the being able to do it or that i can i say i can do it and i think yeah. actually the saying i can do it i can do it because he could do it but he kept saying he couldn't do it mm. and then he would stop and i would be saying you've done all of it your feet are going round you've done the pushing off bit what else is there you just have to keep going yeah. be like no i can't do it mummy i can't do it and that's the mindset piece excellent excellent example that's exactly it it is uh, if you say I can't do it, or if you say I can do it, you're right. That's the old exactly. Saying. That's so true. Absolutely. <laughs> so no, nowadays I, I absolutely believe yes, uh, you can do it, and never stop trying new things. Uh, you just never know. It is you don't know what 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 makes you tick and life is dynamic life is changing all the time so uh, for all you know this kind of healthy weird lifestyle might actually rub up on you you might actually like it and you might actually one day say wow hey you know what we have just walked uh, i don't know six k's around the lake and uh have us a bloody good time uh, and there's a big smile on your face and probably a few beads of sweat. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. And that's a very different life, you know, from, from the, the hungover. Okay. Let's drive to the lake and then just sit in a car. I can see the lake from here. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> it's such a different life, man. <laughs> no, brilliant. So yes, guys, I guess the, the message that, we want to send you out there it is it's all doable uh but you need to give yourself permission and then you need to take small steps but consistent steps and just keep taking these little steps and by the time you've blinked you've done a lot of steps that start building up and your your new life is materializing without you knowing and suddenly you blink and you're actually over there where you thought you would never be. And then, you know what's cool? When you're there, there's another path that you didn't see yet. And that's cool. 
So then there is something new, new happening. So don't forget to smell the roses whilst you're on that path, because this is your path. This is your life. So if, I made the mistake of always thinking, oh, once that happens, then I will be happy. Yeah, that was probably the worst thing, the worst yeah. thing I could do. Um, I didn't love myself and it, I was always waiting for something. And nowadays, no, no. Right now, I'm, I'm having a ball of a time talking to you here. I live in this moment. I enjoy this moment. I enjoy the passion that's coming out of me. This is my moment and, and I've chosen it. And so I, I gave myself permission to have this good time. And that's what I want you guys out there to do. Look around, is, are you happy with where you are? And if not, where do you wanna be? And how do you get there? Make that call and likely is that, that the things that we talked about tonight are, are a key, key, key ingredient to your happiness, to your joy, to your serenity, to your fulfillment. All these things that might sound strange to you, but they're just waiting to happen if you take the consistent steps towards those goals. Absolutely. And I think as well, happiness is something that comes from within. I don't think it's something, a lot of people think happiness is something that happens to me. And I think part of this journey is really understanding that we are in control of our own emotions and happiness is one of those emotions that we can generate. You know, I'm not saying there aren't times when external things happen that do affect us. That's part of the journey too. But really and truly that contentment, that joy de vivre comes from inside rather than something that may or may not happen to us. I agree, but I wouldn't have known about that seven years ago. Uh, it, was, it was the words that you spoke, uh, that we spoke tonight, would have been shallow platitudes, shallow words that had no meaning. I knew it all up there, but they were not habits. It was just something I could, could tell you because I was a doctor and I knew uh, that's healthy for you. That's what you should do. Hell, I didn't do that. <laughs> so, yeah, make the habits. It's, it's all about taking action, guys. So sorry about that. So you actually have to do something to get to that beautiful place. But the good news is it's very simple things that you need to do to make tremendous change in your life. Cool. Absolutely. Now, if people were as excited as I am uh, about talking to you and they want to talk more to you, how do they get hold of you? How, how can they make contact? Well, I have my own podcast, which is Fit and Fabulous at 40 and Beyond. And my website is Dr. Orlina. So that's D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A.com. And that's basically where I live on the internet. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. DrOrlina.com. And we're going to put the information about Orlina down there into the description of the YouTube episode and of the podcast. Thank you so much. Olina, thank you so much for spending the time with me and, and for talking talking openly and honestly about, about your choices and the very conscious choices that you made and your journey. So thank you very much for sharing. I certainly learned a lot. It, it cemented some of the, the, my own thoughts and it's just nice sometimes to 
to see also that other people who seemingly have achieved their goal have struggled and are co continuing to struggle to to actually be there, achieve that, etc. So nothing comes comes easy. Um, them, and that's just the life. And certainly in 2020, nothing comes easy at the moment. But it's still even more important that we all look after each other, so that therefore our kids get the role models they deserve, and that we can be better parents. As simple as that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a oh, pleasure. Absolutely, Olina. Thank you so much. I do appreciate your time and your effort and, and keep going with the wonderful work that you're doing. And you Thank guys you. out there, have a fantastic time. And make you make you every second is your second. Look after yourself, guys. Bye.